go ahead and uh, dive into to some of the homework from, from chapter six. So we talked about the importance of looking up Bethel and Shechem. Uh, did anybody have any uh, fun findings when they were uh, researching those two places and uh, maybe things you didn't know about or just uh, reconfirming things that you um, had probably heard once? But um, anyway, anything interesting on, on those two places? I have a friend who named their daughter Bethel, and um, I think that's pretty exciting. They're from um, Ethiopia, and they're big into um, Abraham. Mm -hmm. He's a big, a big person there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Um, just trying to find my list here. I forgot where I put it down. So I bookmarked it in the the gospel library. Mm -hmm. But I didn't look up any of these scriptures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. Um, so it's interesting that Bethel and Shechem, uh, throughout this whole chapter, Abraham's kind of going around to, to different prominent places uh, as the Lord is guiding him and setting up altars and praying at these places. Um, but Bethel and Shechem seem to keep popping up over and over throughout Israel's history. Uh, Bethel, um, meaning uh, literally, the, the house of God, El, is, is the, another name for God, and Beth means house of. Um, so here is where uh, he pitched his tent, um, both going out of Haran on his way to Egypt and then coming back uh, into the Promised Land, into Canaan. Uh, he also uh, prayed again at that altar there. And uh, it's interesting that both at Bethel and Shechem, his posterity uh, 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 Isaac, Jacob, uh, further on in Israel's history, they keep coming back to these holy places and um, uh, kind of making pilgrimages to them, but also just very important parts of the Abrahamic covenant are reenacted or uh, re-entered into at, at Bethel and Shechem. Um, if you've ever heard of Jacob's ladder or, or the dream that, that Jacob had, uh, that was at Bethel, the, the house of God. Uh, that's where Israel or Jacob name uh, was changed to Israel was at Bethel. Um, it's in the tribe of Manasseh uh, further on down in uh, the, the history of the Israelites. Uh, Deborah, the prophetess, dwelt there under a tree. Um, and also uh, another Deborah was was buried under a tree there in, in Bethel. Um, a lot of times the, the northern tribes received oracles there. They, they sought God's counsel at Bethel. It was a, a holy place and the Ark of the Covenant was kept there um, before it was uh, moved permanently into uh, the, uh, well, before it moved to Shiloh and then eventually into the, the tabernacle or um, yeah, the tabernacle at uh, Solomon's temple. Um, Elijah, Elisha, we all, we have lots of different uh, important people traveling through Bethel. I think that that's interesting. And so as we see uh, here in this chapter, Bethel comes to into play very much so. Then Shechem is, is an amazing place. I, I almost resonate more with it than I do with Bethel, even though Bethel is, is literally the house of God. Um, Shechem means shoulder or saddle. And, um, he makes the covenant with Abraham in Haran, but then in Shechem, the covenant is confirmed or solidified. Um, and so 
this is uh, also Abraham goes there uh, out and back from the uh, Egypt and uh, Shechem is where we have the the episode of Dinah and uh, her brothers uh, seeking revenge on those that, that defiled her there. Um, so Simon and Levi and those that circumcised the, the town and then later killed them all. Um, that, that's at Shechem. Uh, Jacob's well is there at Shechem. The, the Samaritan woman during Christ's time. Uh, that's uh, where we're talking about Shechem there. Joseph of Egypt uh, wanted his bones brought back into the promised land and, and they are there in Shechem. Um, Mount Ebal and Gerizim, the blessings and cursings of the Abrahamic covenant, that whole story with Joshua occurs there in Shechem. And um, it kind of becomes the, the capital city of the northern tribes uh, during that uh, period in Israel's history. Shechem is um, Mount Gerizim there in Shechem is, is where they have their temple. That's where they worship. Uh, it's where they're, they set up golden calves eventually that um, are, are worshipped falsely. Um, but anyway, uh, both of these places resonate heavily with the Abrahamic covenant. And I think that they're very significant as we study more about their context and symbolism, that they really do come into play a lot and uh, helping us figure out what our modern Shechem and Bethel is in our own personal lives, where we go to, to sacrifice and to um, confirm covenants with the Lord kind of a thing. I think that that's a, a huge point um, in our journey towards building Zion. Yeah, anyway. In my reading, it said that uh, about Bethel, that it's, it's like a, like our temples are to us nowadays. Mm -hmm. So it's considered a temple. And he, uh, Jacob received his endowment there. But you, you mentioned that his name was changed. That, that's his new name. Yeah. And uh, that's also where he wrestled with that uh, angel. Mm hmm Yeah. Wrestling with that angel there is, is huge in the Abrahamic covenant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, does anyone else have anything that uh, they want to comment on Bethel or Shechem before we dive into the, the rest of the chapter? Um, there's a, a lot to talk about here. It, it's a fun one. Um, so we have the whole episode of Lot. Um, was there anything new or interesting that you learned about Lot and Abraham and their relationship or um, any of that story that, that was insightful or, or what can we glean from, from that example of, of that relationship between Abraham and Lot? Well, I learned that um, when they divided up the stuff and Lot went his way, that he left as a prophet. You know, I didn't know that before. But he actually did try to uh, call the people there in Sodom to repentance and to teach them the gospel and stuff. They just 
weren't in the mood to listen at that point. But, he, you know, at that point, he was a really good person. Yeah, exactly. And I think that he, he was a good person later on, just not fully devoted uh, kind of, but you know, uh, him compared to his wife, at least he, he did leave um, at the behest of, of the angel emissaries that came and uh, mm -hmm. coaxed him out of the city kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was something totally new to me too. I've never heard that Lot was a prophet. I always kind of thought of him as a, a wicked guy, uh, especially later on with his posterity and those stories. Yeah. But yeah, um, I find it interesting that um, the story kind of kicks off between um, Lot's shepherds. It's almost an indirect uh, thing that, that happens here, but before it gets out of hand or, or starts affecting everybody that um, they, they do uh, seek to to sort it out and, and separate there, but it's it's not necessarily Abraham and Lot directly, but but between the shepherds. And so um, I found that like, kind of an interesting tidbit that I hadn't really thought about before. But yeah, I, I think it's just always pointing to towards the fact of, of how great Abraham was in uh, conflict resolution and, and everything where, uh, you know, the Lord had just given him everything, and yet he turns around and, and gives Lot the choice of the land that he wants to um, inherit. You know, he can pick the best, or he can have whatever he wants, kind of a thing. And how important that model or pattern is for us when we, uh, it's kind of like the tithing principle, where, um, you know, we're given all of the our, our blessings, and yet um, the Lord gives us the law of tithing as a blessing to us um, in order to to give up a, a tenth or or the best part of what is given to us um, as, as a sacrifice uh, kind of a test of loyalty of of love uh, if we are willing to to part with uh, certain things and anyway I, I find that that principle throughout this chapter it's mentioned two or three times the the law of tithing and um, kind of how that plays into um, kind of our own Abrahamic tests. I think that that is a, a huge thing for uh, members that grow up in the church and converts alike. We all kind of have to come to our own personal testimony of the law of tithing. Um, and, and oftentimes it is a, a struggle or a trial for um until the, the blessings are, are fully revealed to us and, and we see how amazing the Lord is in blessing us in return when we do um, put that into practice and, and put the Lord to the test. I think that that is kind of given um, out of that chesed, that, that love, the loving kindness that Abraham describes. Uh, the Lord gives us laws because he loves us. Um, and that's the ways that he can bless us um, by, by our faith and obedience. Um, let's see. 
All right, so just a, a question with everyone here. When you purchased your house or wherever you're living, um, did you ever walk the perimeter, kind of like Abraham does here when, when the Lord gives him this new land? Um, I, I just want to hear if anybody else did that, even not consciously. Did you ever walk the perimeter in, in some sort of fashion? I remember when I, I purchased my my property now, I, I did, but I didn't realize quite what I was doing. I, I was just walking the perimeter, kind of seeing the fence line and, and seeing uh, what was mine versus the neighbors so that, you know, down the road, we have good amicable uh, relations and everything. But but I, I didn't realize really a significance to it until I, I read this chapter and how important... Um, that that walking the perimeter kind of is, or or seeing um, the the extent or the the scope of of what the Lord is blessing us with, kind of a thing. Uh, I find that a very interesting principle. Um, as I was talking with uh, in in my class that I teach on Thursdays here, uh, we were talking about um, that in, to some extent in the last days with um, tent cities and, and things like that and how important walking the perimeter will be um, in order to protect and, and uh, defend ourselves and to almost, uh, it can be to, to hide and, and, and things, but walking the perimeter uh, plays in a lot in some of our, our Latter-day prophecies. I find that very interesting and how that points back to our original um, example the, of it here in, in Abraham. And the way she was talking it sounded like it was an ordinance, even. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I need to find her reference on exactly what she was uh, talking about there. But she said that the the walking the perimeter is actually an ordinance that that is performed for um, for protection and and things. Yeah, I found that very interesting. But anyway, just kind of looking at Abraham, he's taking upon up uh, or, or guided up on onto this mount and then he's able to look uh, east to west uh, south to north and and look over all of the scope of what he is getting blessed with you know if anyone's ever been to Jerusalem I haven't but um, being up on these kind of little hills they're not huge uh, mountains but like we know in <laughs> Intermountain West but um to, to be taken up on this and being able to see far out that that would be quite an interesting experience there in the land of Canaan and, and seeing um, you know as as Abraham he's he's seen many great visions and seen his his posterity and, and things but being able to see the land that they will inherit I, I think is very uh, interesting experience that would have been very awesome to to have the Lord um, do that and then uh, then told to, to go and walk the perimeter of. And here on um, page 129, uh, the middle of the page, it says, you know, that lengthy journey must have taken weeks to, to perform that walk around the perimeter of, of the land of Canaan. That would be a, quite a huge undertaking, but um, as a legal formality with the acquisition of any land, that's um, uh, kind of a thing that they, they would do in, in that time. I bet I can see him just enjoying that and and chatting with the people as he was 
meeting new people and stuff. I can see him just really uh, enjoying that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, on page 128, you know, I was so impressed with how Abraham was filled with the pure love of Christ. Even as he walked the perimeter of this land, he saw that they were wicked. But one of the things, it says that the neighbors of Abraham were cruel, covetous, and licentious. But Abraham never ceased to be on friendly terms with them. And as I read that, I thought about the leaders of our church. And I've often wondered, how come they're not more in your face about some of the issues that they're of wickedness that we're dealing with in our society? Why aren't our leaders out there saying, you know, pounding mm -hmm. <laughs> the pulpit? <laughs> but then I thought, how how much more effective it is to be like Abraham and how they are like Abraham filled with this loving kindness and they're um, teaching us in a more peaceful, loving way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting that that principle there that he Abraham is the one that's given this land from God, but yet there's other people and even wicked people in it and inhabiting it, yet there's still loving kindness and, and things going on, and how much that comes into play in church history as well as modern. Um, like in church history, you know, some of those saints were um, less than, than Abrahamic in their uh, attitudes towards the the wicked inhabitants of Missouri and you know and and we see how that didn't quite pan out um in that scenario yet um in our our modern day how important that will be for the building up of Zion it will be built uh, up here in, in the American continent and you know that we we definitely know that we have some some wicked things happening here especially in our government and and things and and for, um, we, we have to remain uh, like Abraham. We always have to look to his example. Uh, walking the perimeter, just as you were talking uh, about um, our, our modern uh, leaders of the church and stuff, it's interesting to note how President Nelson uh, went on a worldwide tour. He's kind of walking the perimeter of, of the, the promised land before the second coming of the Savior kind of thing. I think that that's an interesting principle to, to think about as well. Um, I, you know, other prophets have, have all done that, uh, uh, but this one just seems different in some way, uh, that worldwide, um, uh, what, the words failing me, uh, anyway, what, what was that? A tour or ministry. It oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Worldwide ministry. Yeah. Felt a lot different. Um, and interestingly, he didn't have any trips planned for after COVID before, you know, it was all ended before COVID started. Like he had already. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a surprise. Oh, we have to cancel this trip to wherever. 
I mean, everything was done. The, the temple in Rome was dedicated. I mean, all those things had happened before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting to think about. I hadn't put that together. And we know that the persecution against the saints is going to increase. And it's wonderful that they have extended a hand of friendship to everyone. Mm -hmm. and that they have um, remained peaceful and yeah mm -hmm. yeah exactly in these worldwide tours and and ever since um uh, i mean the the b1 conference uh that we had i think it was june 6th in 2018 or something but um uh the different things that we're we're doing with all of these communities with china with um, the NAACP with, with everybody. We're just trying to create peaceful relations everywhere we go with uh, the, him when he was in Rome and, and going uh, to the Vatican and, and to the Pope and everything. There's very much Abraham-like, just creating peace everywhere we go. Even though there might be differences, who cares about the differences? We want to focus on our similarities and how we are all God's children and, and how we can learn to love and grow and um, disagree but not be disagreeable like all of these different uh, Abraham-like qualities it, I, we're building Zion and so uh, we have the pattern right here with with Abraham how how to get that done I find that very fun yeah uh, President Nelson isn't just the prophet of our church he's prophet of the world yeah yeah I love the quote, Cameron, that was by President Kimball on page 127 that said, once we found peace within ourselves, we must share it by being long-suffering, gentle, meek, and having the pure love of Christ for all we meet. Mm, yeah. I thought that was such an excellent quote. So peace starts within ourselves first yeah. Yeah. and then goes outward. Mm -hmm. So, and there's a great talk by Elder Worthlin on the peace within. So I did kind of a whole study on peace. Uh -huh. So it just really struck me. So, so I wrote up a bunch of stuff. I can share it to the group if yeah, you want me to. Yeah, I'm just writing it down and stuff. But yeah, if you're going to share it to the group, that would be awesome. With yeah, I took bits and pieces from that and a couple other talks. It just, I was just really inspired to do a study on peace. Uh -huh. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, just writing that down. It's interesting how how that's going to uh, really play in in the last days. You know, there's going to be so much turmoil, but uh, peace doesn't have to to come from an outside source. It, it, the origination of it comes within ourselves and and radiates outward. I, I love that principle. Um. Let's see. I found this uh, quote very interesting, not quote, but um, on page 130, it's in the second paragraph. The lesson is remembered to this day in Judaism. If the poor do not come to your house, you are obligated to seek them and bring them into your home, for this is what Abraham did. And I was like, whoa, that's that's quite a, a statement there. I don't know if I've ever done that before, but um, what an important characteristic of Abraham um, that that shows. Um, there was, I was listening to an education week uh, thing just this, this last uh, week for family history work. 
And uh, there was a interesting example that he gives, I believe his name is Brother Price, but he was uh, quoting this secondhand. So I'm going to butcher and paraphrase here, but um, at Roots Tech, whether last year or the year before, whenever it was, um, one of the, the guys that, that he knew um, was prompted to go and uh, go out onto the street and, and uh, find this, this, this homeless man and bring him into this uh, leadership session that they were having. And in the, the leadership session, uh, they were talking about uh, finding your relatives and, and connecting and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so he pulled up on his phone, uh, this homeless man's uh, information and stuff, and they found his, uh, his parents there on family search and they um, found a, a living brother that, that he could connect with and, and stuff. And, and it just dramatically changed this, this man's life. Uh, being able to connect with with those around him but i mean that was like that would have been my furthest thought from my mind i that shows how unabraham like i really am but i mean i would not have thought to go and find somebody else and bring them to this meeting uh, especially somebody that you know didn't have an invitation or didn't necessarily want to be there kind of thing um you know like well, I want to attend a class, so I'm just going to go and, and take myself. I'm not going to bother anybody else about it. But um, that he was prompted to go out, find the seemingly random person and bring them in. It just shows to you how much the spirit is working with each and every one of us. If we're in tune with the spirit in order to uh, connect with, with those around us, especially the poor that um, are, are often overlooked and, and forgotten but yet how they are so loved by the Lord and, and how we always need to be, um, if they don't come to us, we need to go seek them out kind of a thing. And, and that was a big wake up call to me. I think that that's one of the biggest things uh, from this book that um, changed my life this week. This is how I let God prevail in my life. Um, uh, making goals to, to implement that specific principle to seek out the poor and to um, uplift and, and edify their lives and, and seek not for my own kind of a thing. I, that, that's a hard one for me, especially in rural Idaho. Like, I don't know, we don't have a whole lot of um, people in this small town of 200, but um, uh, really, really stretching beyond my, my normal, casual, comfortable self and, and seeking that experience daily, I, I think is going to really impact my, my, paradigm and, and and shift me to try to become more more abraham-like and christ-like but yeah um I, I always forget to look at the chat sorry so yeah biliana is raising her hand oh yes similar experience actually my friend she found a homeless man somewhere like in around raleigh and she brought him to her house to take shower then she told me she took him and her kids were there four kids like young kids but she really trusted him, so she wanted to help him. And then uh, she told me she's going to take him. He just want. She asked him what he wants to eat. He said pizza. I was, I was there at one point. I kind of saw him when she was driving him to a different place. So she told me to wait for her, and she was just driving that homeless man to, to get pizza, New York style pizza for him and Coke because that's what he asked for. And she bought him a train ticket to New York. 
That was just so unbelievable. And before that, she told me, she said she saved a turtle the tur or turtoise. Like, I think it's supposed to go in the water. But she said, like, you know, it was somewhere like in land and she put it somewhere where it should be. I mean, her life, it, she's in a different world, but her life was always like helping so many people. And the way you said, like a homeless person. I remember she was doing things like that. I don't know how she wasn't afraid. She would ride in a in a car with like homeless men and take him to places where he needs to be and just mm -hmm. unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, more people should do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, in our and no one did world. anything bad to her. No one ever did anything bad to her. It was so grateful to her and made her so happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the, the blessings of, of Abraham here coming into play where um, if we're following the spirit, we can avoid the, um, the negative things that, um, you know, like our world, we never pitch up, pick up hitchhikers or, or things anymore, or we're always apprehensive about um, helping the, the needy because we don't know if they're actually uh, needy or if they're just mooching or, or whatever. But if you're really living by the spirit and, and doing what the Lord, if you're on the Lord's errand, you're going to be in, uh, entitled to protection and guidance and, and all of these things. And so just kind of overcoming our, our natural tendencies to, to shrug things off. And uh, yeah, I, I love stories like that and experiences where uh, people are, are reaching out and uh, beyond themselves. Because, I mean, my life is hectic and, you know, like I, sometimes I'm so myopic and focused in on me and that's just so anti-Zion and, and I need to change. That's where the Lord really shakes me and wakes me up and says, become like Abraham. This is, this is what it looks like. And this is how we build Zion. Reach out to other people all the time. Uh, focus on uh, living by the spirit in that way. I, I love that example, Liliana. Thank you. And along with that, um, at the, near the bottom of, it's on page 130 also, and on the third paragraph near the end there, it says, Abraham had already been privileged several times to speak face to face with the Savior. But now um, the, the Savior visited him daily as he lovingly reached out to the least of his brethren. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that remind me of that scripture, you know, if you do it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like, he, Abraham has reached that level where the Savior is really pleased with him. And so he gets daily visits from the Savior. Can you imagine that? How cool that would be? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I just love that. All right. So now diving into the, the crazy part of the chapter. So the waging war and meeting the Prince of Peace. So, um, you know, war is always a part of the history of the, the world. This is, uh, we had a war in heaven uh, against Satan and the war continues here. There's always seems to be a, a 
tumult of opinion and, and wars and rumors of wars and things. And we know that we're going to be confronted with that in the last days as well. And I think that this pattern that Abraham shows us here is so intriguing to study and apply to our last days. Um, it's interesting that here we see a, a coalition of kings that, that come and um, uh, take uh, a lot of people as prisoners of war kind of a thing out of Sodom. Uh, was it just Sodom? Maybe Gomorrah? I can't remember. But um, but but is taking them and, and Lot's included in that, that group there. And what, what does Abraham do? Uh, how does he approach this? You know, I mean... I, we, we try not to, to have conflict and war and bloodshed and, and things, but, but when is it justified? When do we go and defend? When do we, uh, is it ever okay to be on the offense? Uh, like, what, what are some uh, important lessons and, and things that you've learned throughout this chapter and throughout studying uh, war in, in the last days? Just kind of open it up for everyone there. Well, it compared Abraham to um, Captain Moroni. Um, they're how they, they both love, I mean, they both rather have peace, but it, when liberty of others is at stake, sometimes we have to go defend it. And, but here they, they both, um, the, depended on the Lord to help him with this, this battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and he does. Um, I think it's important to re remember that Lord commanded Abraham go. And Abraham went with a small group of people that he had chosen, he understood their character, that they were good people. And um, he did not go in right away with his weapons, but first he prayed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, very interesting. Um, interesting here that it gives it kind of two requirements for battle, that there shall be no fear and that there shall be no sin amongst the people. And when you have both of those requirements met, the Lord will, will fight your battles for you, with you. Um, I think it's more for than, than with, but um, interesting how that is a promise of the Abrahamic covenant, that God will fight our battles. And how we've seen that play out through the whole history of the earth, that when um, we are, are pure and worthy and when it's a just cause and that there's no fear that we have full trust and faith in the Lord, then God really does step in and fight those battles. It's an eternal law. It's one of those principles that um, uh, because of the covenant uh, that we have those promises made to us that God will fight the battles. Does it mean that it's only warfare or is it our individual daily battles with Satan that uh, will be fought with as well? That um, if we have no fear and no sin, that, that God will do wonders. Um, and here, just like you said with Captain Moroni, there, there weren't any casualties. There might have been um, 
you know, some, what's the, the word? I'm thinking in Spanish, golpes, but uh, there's no um, wounds. I, I mean, there might be some wounds and, and things like that, but there's no deaths um, uh, with it. I, I think that that's very interesting principle to, to think about and ponder in our daily battles with, with the adversary, how, how God really does step in uh, when those uh, two requirements are met. That's Cameron? There's, there's one other thing, too, that uh, if you go back to page 127, uh, Abraham told Lot that he would be close enough to come to his aid if necessary. So he made a promise. That's true, yeah. And he's fulfilling that promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, has anybody read um like the the washington hypothesis lincoln hypothesis etc timothy ballard um I, I find that that's a very interesting thing with uh, general washington as he's fighting a revolutionary war and things that um he had the exact same two requirements of his people he every time that they went into battle and things he required that they repent of all of their sins before going into uh, to, to fight because he's like, I'm not fighting with anybody that has sin amongst the camp. And, and so they would um, do these, these mass uh, confessions and, and true repentance amongst the, the warriors. And when they did that uh, with full heart and with full faith, then they were successful. And the Lord intervened in some miraculous ways. If you've ever studied the, the Revolutionary War, some of those battles that were the odds were way stacked against them, that they were able to prevail because God stepped in and fought their battles for them. Um, when all odds are against us, I mean, there's more that be with us than, than those that be with them. Uh, I think that that's, that's just huge. It's a divine law. And that's something that we learned from, from Abraham, where that stems from. It's be, from those, those covenants of our forefathers that have covenanted that with the Lord for our behalf. Um, yeah, so the aftermath of the, the excursion here, I think that this is very interesting and in telling uh, what happens when the Lord does prevail in our lives, when he does step in and fight our battles. How do we react like Abraham? Do we get puffed up and, and talk about our own victories and, and how we were able to, to win because God was on our side? Or, or how, how does Abraham give us the model of how to deal with the aftermath of uh, these awful battles and, and things like that? What, what did you all learn from, from this example in, in this chapter? I can't remember where it says it, but um, it says that he sent them home, the ones that they had taken or something, and with their belongings and stuff. I can't remember how that was worded, but I can't remember where it's at. Yeah. Um, 
on page 135, it, it talks about that Abraham made a prior covenant with the Lord not to enrich himself with the rescue operation. And so, I mean, he was entitled to keep the, the prisoners of war and, and the booty of the, uh, the conquest there, but uh, yet um, he, he lets them all go back uh, kind of a thing. He, he has no use for, for slaves and, and things, obviously, you know, none of us do that. Um, but that was kind of the conditions of the day. That was the general terms of warfare and, and things. But yet um, the, he covenanted with the Lord and he yeah, was going to be. The people wanted to make him a king. They wanted <laughs> to put him on a throne and, and he said, no way. And he, it said that he was more humble because of the Lord intervening for him. Most people would be more puffed up, but Abraham was more humble and would, mm -hmm. not, would, would not accept a kingship. Yeah. And who yeah, else? George Washington, too. Oh, sorry. Well, did you say Laura? <laughs> that was the same as George Washington. They wanted him to be the king. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. turned that down. Yeah, we have lots of different examples of righteous people that that <laughs> they're like, nope, no king kind of thing. Um, I find that a very interesting pattern and parallel that the people, because of their their gratefulness, like, oh, whew, we, we escaped <laughs> by the skin of our necks there, that that's kind of human nature or maybe the natural man. I don't even know what it is, but, but we want to set up kings and reward those that help us. Um, to a lofty position, yet um, they know because they're righteous and, and they're victorious there in, in their battles with uh, fighting alongside God kind of thing, that no, they, they know that a uh, kingdom uh, is, is a bad idea. Um, and we find that all throughout the Book of Mormon, right? Uh, all the different times that they want kings versus what they get and what they uh, end up with kind of thing. And in the Bible too, um, they wanted kings and so they had Saul and David and Solomon and they all three failed as kings, you know, mm -hmm. it just, it doesn't work out for the mo most of the time. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that that's part of the Abrahamic covenant that we will become kings eventually and and all of us that are true and faithful in the abrahamic covenant right uh we are to become kings and queens uh to god and and yet the time is not yet uh, as we see with all of these examples you know warfare and everything is not a time to be setting up kings but kings are reserved for the very end times for the millennium that's when um god needs the the kings and and queens to step forward and, and take their rightful place but beforehand, it's it's generally a bad idea, and so the Lord tries to to prevent that and, and uh, helping these these righteous uh, people like Abraham realize that concept before time. I think that's an interesting principle. Okay, I'm, and I like the part where it said after battle, it said uh, he um, gave thanks. He was grateful. He knelt down and gave thanks to the Almighty, Sovereign of the world. He said, had your, your glory had helped me fight and you had helped me and made him more humble. And I, I don't think we talk about that. I know other Christian churches talk about giving God the glory mm -hmm. and we don't usually talk that way. 
but I always think that we have to be thankful and give God the honor of, you know, giving the help that we need. And that's humility. My favorite um, definition of humble is humility is reveling in God's grace. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I love that quote. And I discovered it a couple of years ago and I thought it is, it's giving God the honor of what he's done for us. Mm-hmm. you know, and thanking him for the blessings that he's given us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. I, did, I didn't hear what she said. Reveling in God's what? Humility is reveling in God's grace or goodness. Oh yeah. I like that. I thought it's a good definition because mm-hmm. we don't revel in our own goodness or other people's goodness. We revel in God's grace and love and goodness mm-hmm. and it makes us humble realizing you know we're mm-hmm. just mortals but it's because of god's goodness to- toward us that we are what we are <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. for sure and you know back to president nelson our, our modern prophet is that that gratitude that humility the, those are things that he's trying to to make sure that we uh is always at the forefront of our mind the gratitude uh, for all of the things that, that he's blessing us with, um, especially in times of difficulty when we're um, uh, before, during, and after, uh, we always need to be expressing that, that gratitude. I know here in um, Idaho, we uh, this last fast Sunday, we had a special fast for, for moisture because we're just lacking in it. Uh, this winter is, has been a kind of a dry spell, but, but yet... Uh, we've had some some good snow uh, flurries and, and things and um, it, it's just I'm so grateful that the Lord hears his people it's a huge testimony uh, builder uh, as we are looking forward uh, on our construction calendar kind of thing like okay is it going to be a good week next week yeah, what do we do uh, do we frame do we do this or whatever and and snow wasn't in the forecast but yet after the fast then we have all next week is supposed to be snow in here. Um, God is so loving and kind to us when we are grateful and, and when, we, uh, when we trust in him for our, our very air that we breathe and, and all of our, our sustenance. Uh, when we look to him as the bread of life, that manna that is provided miraculously for us, uh, we have amazing blessings uh, flow into our lives. Uh, he, he loves a grateful people. And, and I love that quote, that humility is reveling in God's grace and goodness, uh, always remembering. I think that that's, you know, that's why we have the, the sacrament uh, uh, prayer offered the, or worded the way that it is. We just, we always forget. But if we remember, remember always uh, we're going to be able to, to pull those blessings into our lives. All right. So the blessings that come out of this excursion are amazing. So I, I've always found it interesting that that's what precedes the, um, the sacrament and, and the uh, encounter with Melchizedek. Um, I love what it says on page 136 here. It was one of the most important meetings in history, a world summit of two spiritual giants establishing the order of the kingdom of God. That's just huge. Uh, Abraham and Melchizedek coming together and um, uh, 
setting forth a precedent that that that's huge. I I anytime that there's something mysterious or unknown or we don't have all of the details surrounding it, you kind of know that it's an important topic for people that um, that, that translated the Bible to be taking it out or or whatever means that they did to, to hide some of that information. You know, it must be an important topic. And, and here we have a lot of mystery surrounding Melchizedek. And um, yet here is some of the most poignant imagery and symbolism that we have um, with Abraham, meeting up with him, receiving the fullness, uh, receiving the sacrament, the, the law of tithing. We have lots of different examples here. Um, yeah, what, what all did you find this week as you were uh, studying this section with Melchizedek and, and Abraham? Uh, what connections, patterns, themes, insights, what, what all did you find here? I did not realize that Melchizedek, and if I'm remembering this right, actually set up a Zion city and was taken up mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. Enoch, on Enoch. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Did I read yeah. that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I think they joined in with Enoch City, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if their land masses necessarily joined, um, but I do know that they were uh, taken up to meet uh, Enoch City at, at one point. But I, uh, looking forward towards Parley Pratt in uh, the the last days in our. Uh, dispensation. He gave a quote talking about how the the, the stars that are falling from the sky in, in the, the last days uh, prior to, um, well, just right after the Antichrist and everything, that each of those, uh, those stars that are falling are fragments, righteous fragments that broke off from the earth at one point or another. I think that they're all out there and, and all going to be coming back uh, as as stars, uh, as falling stars kind of a thing. And so I, I, you know, I, it's, I have no idea how to interpret it necessarily, but it, it seems like they might be out there separated, but you know, as translated beings, they're, they're bebopping around to Enoch city and, and things, who knows? That's interesting. Um, also, I liked how, um, the, it's kind of a foreshadowing, this summit banquet thing, to what the future messianic banquet, you know, yeah. that will happen. I mean, it's kind of right side by side, the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's many interesting things that come out of this, but uh, one of the first things that um, I experienced with this whole story was on my mission, uh, you know, we always talk about with, with converts the, the importance of the sacrament and how we don't do animal sacrifices anymore kind of thing. And, and I was teaching it wrong as a, as a missionary that, oh yeah, the sacrament wasn't prior to Christ, but it was definitely after kind of a thing. But here we have an example of Melchizedek um, literally giving the sacrament to Abraham and, and how, you know, Yes, there is the, the whole sacrifice prior to Christ and sacrament after Christ, but yet the sacrament is eternal. There's, there's lots of different instances of sacrament being uh, offered and administered to 
the righteous, especially those that have entered into the fullness of the covenant um, prior to Christ. But that's a, uh, an eternal kind of a thing. It's not uh, just only after Christ's uh, ministry there. Well, Joseph Smith, in his translation, um, he added this part, which really helps us as a church to understand. He added that Melchizedek actually break bread and blessed it, and he blessed the wine. You know, that couldn't be any more clear that that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. Uh, to, to what you were saying about the, the future uh, feast, the, the, the marriage supper of the, the bridegroom kind of thing, um, foreshadowing Christ's second coming. I think that that's huge uh, there and, and how each of our ordinances that we perform inside and outside of the temple are um, dress rehearsals for the upcoming play that, that will uh, actually do. And so as we're preparing for this, this marriage feast, uh, this uh, wedding feast uh, of sorts, that uh, that's what we're doing each week. As we renew each of our covenants at the, the sacrament altar, we are um, doing a dress rehearsal for that, that great marriage supper that we'll be a part of when Christ comes again. Um, and how Abraham and Melchizedek are, are doing that same dress rehearsal here. Yeah. But it's not just a dress rehearsal. I mean, we are, you know, um, renewing covenants and, and making covenants there. Yes. Um, so I think it's interesting here. That, um, on page 137, it's toward the bottom of the page. It says that uh, the second paragraph there, how it starts. Latter-day Revelation adds that the power of the Melchizedek priesthood includes the privilege of receiving the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to have the heavens opened, and to commune with the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which is the church of Enoch. Um, not a church of Enoch bypassing Christ, but just that Enoch was the, the kind of prototype of somebody that had achieved it, that um, uh, was so righteous to, to be taken up there. I, the, it's through the Melchizedek priesthood that we have that. It's not through the Levitical or the patriarchal priesthood that, that uh, those blessings flow into our life. But it's interesting to compare and contrast the different orders of the priesthood and which blessings flow into our lives because of them. With the Aaronic priesthood, we have the, the ministry of angels, Versus here, we have the privilege of receiving those mysteries um, of the kingdom of heaven. And, and just the, the difference and um, uh, that they grant us different accesses uh, along our path towards God, uh, the covenant path. I find that very interesting and, and, and clearly uh, the pattern that Abraham and Melchizedek are, are putting out here in this experience. Um, Interesting how it talks about that um, Abraham was actually ushered into a temple in Melchizedek City. Uh, Jewish tradition tells of a secret sign that God communicated to Abraham, the secret of the mystery of the Redeemer. Um, just all of those different uh, imageries and, and things that 
that help us better understand our own temple experience and that these things are eternal. We might um, do things uh, a little bit different uh, based on different dispensations, um, how it's revealed to them, how to perform the temple ordinances, but uh, there's certain elements that are, are the same uh, throughout everything um, and how those bring us closer to God, to Christ, the, make us part of the church of the firstborn. Um, interesting how uh, on page 139, how it talks about um, Salem. I, I've always grown up thinking that Salem was Jerusalem and that uh, part of Jerusalem was taken up. But, but here talking about how that might have been near Shechem, uh, located up there towards Mount Gerizim, which would be totally fitting uh, symbolically if we're looking at the, the pattern of things here. Uh, Mount Gerizim is the mountain of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant versus Ebal uh, on the other side, which is the cursings. But um, having uh, this righteous city of Salem being right there um, at the, uh, the the, the city of, of the Abrahamic covenant, for lack of a better word. I, I, Shechem is, is so important in, um, in that, that covenant. Um, so it's always interesting to try to explain this to, to people, but how, if somebody comes up to you and asks you, why is the, the priesthood named after Melchizedek or uh, after Aaron? Or why do we name things different than um, Christ's church? Why don't we name the priesthood after Christ? I mean, it's his priesthood. Why is that? Um, why do we sometimes associate different names uh, with things? How, how do you answer that? How do you approach it in, in a good uh, way that, that makes sense and, and clears up that confusion. Well, how many times do we say Melchizedek priesthood? It is a lot. You know, we use that a lot. If we were saying, what was it called before? It was the church, I'm not the priesthood of the son of god or how was that worded i'm not saying it right the priesthood after the order of the son of god i think yeah full name yeah. of it so i think because of the repetition uh -huh. of it. so if that's for the repetition of it i mean it seems like in today's age we we repeat God, Jehovah, Christ, Elohim. I mean, we use those names frequently and, and often. Are, are we yeah, in danger of repeating it too often? No, I don't know. Oh, no. I, I these are just general questions that I've always wondered. I've had questions posed uh -huh. to me. I'm, I'm not very eloquent in explaining this principle. And I was just wondering if anybody had any insights and, and things into this. What did it, what it said something about it in here. What was it? Um, yes, I'm guessing on page 140, where I kind of got a thing in the notes. Just a second. Oh, it says, out of 
respect or reverence to the name of the Supreme Being to avoid the too frequent repetition of his name. And because Melchizedek was such a great high priest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. But we have the same thing with the lesser priesthood is ironic is after Aaron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting also that it's named after those people, yet those were not the people that were called to restore it in the last days. With the ironic priesthood that was John the Baptist, the Melchizedek priesthood is Peter, James, and John, that um, you would think that it would be the the namesakes that would come and restore those things, but yet um, different uh, authority and keys and and all of that. Um, it was the last ones that held it that came back to restore it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that that was in a previous chapter that it kind of explained that that principle. Once God. Um, uh, puts that responsibility on somebody those those keys delegates that thing he doesn't reverse it and take it back and and things those are the the last people that had those oh, and i'd like to think um when we have a new person coming to the church we want to fellowship them and we give them a calling and we give them things to do right mm -hmm. to, to spread around spread out the the love mm -hmm. um, if everything was just the savior and we know that there's going to be multiple god there's not I mean, that's that's our goal right to become like god yeah so it, and there's going to be a time we're, i was reading somewhere there's gonna be a time we're going to recognize and see all those that have been all those gods right mm -hmm. yeah so i think it's just kind of spreading it out and giving us opportunities to learn and grow and to become more like Heavenly Father and Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Thank you for bringing that out. Um, I just realized what time it was <laughs> over time. So quickly going into the homework and then we'll come back for last thoughts there. But um, so for chapter seven, this is chapter seven and eight are like my favorite chapters of the whole book. Um, but for the, the homework there is uh, again, twofold here. First one is to study out the, the actual scriptures uh, surrounding the choices given to the three Nephites and to John the Beloved um, when they were uh, given the choice of, of what blessings they, they wanted to pursue um, in order, and they chose translation. Uh, just anyway, study the, the scriptures surrounding those, those two experiences there. And then second, is this was this one's a more in-depth one it's it's a little bit harder but um read the king follett sermon and the lecture third from the lectures on faith if you don't have time that that's fine it's just a recommended homework there but um those uh three things will will greatly enhance your your study of chapter seven here um the I other will, part? you said king follett and what was the other part uh-huh lecture third from the lectures on faith and I will uh, put links um, uh, there. I should have got those ahead of time so I could just pop them in chat, but I didn't. Um, but I will post those on the Learning Zion website. 
um, for uh, the lecture third and King Follett sermon and those scriptures surrounding the three Nephites and John the Beloved. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the, the homework for, for next time. Chapter seven, so fun. You're going to love it. It's, it's amazing. Um, and then um, any kind of last thoughts before we... Um, switch gears. I, after we have our final thoughts, I want to talk about the, the new Isaiah uh, program for next semester. Um, and so, yeah, we'll finish up with Abraham and then kind of go over time into to Isaiah uh, and the game plan there. Um, but yeah, final thoughts on, on Abraham this week and any uh, testimonies, things that you've learned, uh, ways that you're letting God prevail in your life thing, just kind of final thoughts. I don't know if, where this was because I finished this book with my husband, but it's about Isaiah having five gates and people could come and, and go and that he would serve them and help them. He would help the needy and the poor. And we were kind of talking about the homeless and stuff with um, Juliana. Mm -hmm. um, that, I'm not sure what that was, but just to think that his property was so big, it took him weeks to walk around, but he had five gates and people could just come in and he would serve them and help them. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. Yeah. For sure. It's an amazing example that, that he gives us there. Cameron, I like the scripture at the very first of the chapter where it talks about, it, it's DNC 84. Oh yeah, uh, just right under where it says chapter six. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And it says, and when they are sanctified by the spirit and to the renewing of their bodies, and they're just on the very last page on 141. It said it was this uh, sanctification and the renewing of their bodies that allowed Abraham and Sarah to have Isaac at, when they were older. I, I thought that was really interesting. And I've just recently heard this scripture related to President Nelson and someone saying that they were looking at his hands and his hands look younger. He doesn't look like he's 90. Mm -hmm. that maybe he's in that translation process or he's been that scripture that's happened to he's been renewed yeah. and uh -huh. on the swing and then like just up until a couple of years ago he was skiing and was he still skiing it's just incredible just yeah. absolutely incredible. you never hear of any health issues that he's ever had or mm -hmm. or yeah. anything he's just it, it's amazing that that process there and, and the renewing of the bodies is a real blessing that that can um oh, man. be bestowed and sought after and and stuff yeah very interesting there's just something i, I want to throw I, out oh sorry yeah, no go, go ahead go ahead mine was silly <laughs> uh, well i just i remember reading a long time ago or something and i can't remember what the thesis was about it but it said why did the people in the old testament like methuselah and others live to be 100 200 300 years old but we don't mm -hmm. and i'm like i can't remember the premise and what they said was the cause of that but i thought well it's interesting to yeah. figure out why they live so long and we don't yeah for sure and well, Adam lived so long so that he can make sure that his posterity was on the right, the right path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it's an interesting study. It just popped into my mind or whatever, going along with that, that thesis there. 
is it only the righteous that live long? Was it only those that, that sought the, the blessings and, and covenants with God that were able to live long and, and bless their posterity? Or did the wicked also live uh, just as long of lifespans and stuff? It'd be an interesting study to, to look at all of those different generations and um, things mentioned in the scriptures. Maybe it is um, an actual covenantal blessing that, uh, that they were... Uh, they were sanctified. Or, yeah, sanctified. And... and <laughs> and the renewing of their bodies that it, it could be that yeah and interesting. i mean looking at the the promise made in eden well not promise but the whatever you want to call it that god said that in the day that thou shalt eat thereof thou shalt surely die and one day being a thousand years and etc you know like Adam literally did die in that day that um, he ate of the, the fruit, uh, less than a thousand years there. It, it's very interesting, uh, all of that uh, calendar math and, and things, but yet maybe it was because of the sanctifying power, uh, the renewing of their bodies that they were able to, to live so long because they proved that they wanted to be on the earth um, and um, bless their posterity, help them enter and make covenants you know i i doubt that the lord's going to extend the, the life of people who um aren't going to to fulfill that mission you know and help others if they're just very if they just become hermits up in the hills kind of a thing they're probably not going to receive the renewing of their bodies and and things because it's all about building zion uh not just coming back to to god alone but but with uh, others and involved very interesting insight i'm gonna if I have time this week, I'm going to study that one out too. Um, um, so taking a whole different spin on, on things and, and branching out. So um, after Abraham class uh, finishes up uh, here in the first part of April, just kind of right after conference, um, heading into Isaiah is going to be a, a fun one. Um, so let me just uh, share the the schedule really quick. And I, I've posted this on the Learning Zion website and I'm going to email it out to everyone as well uh, later on tonight. Um, but it's a little bit different. We're going to um, have three different class options and it might not be your favorite one on the night that it's offered and everything, but um, uh, my schedule is kind of changing. And anyway, it, it this is what's going to be offered and we're going to try to to do it well. Hopefully it works and, and uh, is beneficial for everyone. Um, but on Sundays at 6 p.m., so this exact same time that, that this class meets, we're going to be having a class on visualizing Isaiah for the first six weeks and then the literary features of Isaiah. So it's going to be a very good beginner style class of really diving into the surroundings and context of Isaiah's world and um, how he was seeing and uh, the different things that we can uh, look at with Western eyes and, and see them how they um, were perceived back then when these prophecies were, were made. So um, anyway, that one's going to be a really fun class. And um, all of these meetings are going to be recorded, but they're, I'm only going to share the group meetings with those that are in the group and uh, maybe it's because the time doesn't work out for them kind of a thing. I'm not going to be posting these publicly on, on YouTube. 
so that just anybody can find them because I know that a lot of people like their privacy and don't want their face out there kind of a thing. Um, so these ones are not going to be uh, just public, uh, but they will be, I, I can give a link to anybody that's missed them that's generally interested in uh, hearing other people's perspectives and, and having a group setting on these. Um, but I will be creating a, lesson videos where it's just me talking and presenting the information and those will be public and um, so there's going to be two videos that come out of every lesson uh, one will be private and one will be public um, so anyway there's that visualizing isaiah class uh, sundays at 6 p.m and then also thursdays at 6 p.m uh, here in person in, in my house and then um, on sundays at 8 p.m uh, Mountain Standard Time, uh, we are going to be actually diving into the, the words of Isaiah. We're going to be uh, looking at, um, uh, this book is very helpful, Opening Isaiah. It's by Ann Madsen and Sean Hopkins. Um, and so it goes through and uh, lays out uh, columns uh, and compares all of the text side by side of uh, the King James Version, the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith translation, Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the New Revised Standard Version. And then I'm going to add in the Isaiah Institute translation and possibly the NIV uh, as well with that. So we're just going to be reading the chapters. That one's going to have some uh, about five chapters of homework each time of reading, uh, going through your favorite translation of the Isaiah. And we're just going to be kind of looking at it and studying the actual words on Sundays at 8 p.m. And then on Thursdays at 9 p.m., um, we are going to be going through uh, Isaiah Decoded um, uh, by Avraham Giliadi. So this one is definitely more advanced um, literature. It's not going to be uh, necessarily for uh, <laughs> just everyone to, to join in on, but because um, we're talking about Jacob's Ladder and how to... Um, how to progress spiritually uh, along those. We're going to be talking about lots of different um, advanced topics and, and things like that. So um, not be careful who you invite to that one. But um, uh, anyway, that one's going to be a, a fun uh, book club on, on that one. Uh, the, the first two are definitely going to be very beginner level and um, widespread. You're more than welcome to invite whoever you want to attend those Zoom meetings, but then uh, I will be recording those and, um, like I said, the, the public versus the private versions of those uh, classes there. Uh, I forgot to, for that uh, Sundays at 6 p.m. class, uh, for the first six weeks, there's this book called Visualizing Isaiah by uh, Donald Perry. And um, it goes through and uh, just gives you lots of maps and uh, pictures, things to, to visualize um, the, the Holy Land and the, and the context around Isaiah. And then for the, the second half, um, the book by Avraham Giliadi, Isaiah Made Simple. I realize my lighting is not great here for showing this, but um, it goes through and um, each of those like characters, code names, uh, work links, etc., is um, in there as, as well. Um, any questions, comments, uh, thoughts on, on that? I know it might not work for uh, the best for everybody, but I'm trying to hit uh, a little bit broader audience because uh, the Abraham class was uh, definitely 
uh, more exclusive and, and some people wanted to join. But anyway, hopefully this one will be a little bit more accessible and somewhat free up my time a little bit that uh, I can produce better videos that will be digestible after the, the class is over too. Um, any thoughts, comments, uh, things that... I saw uh, that you shared this on a group. Was it one group that you shared it on or...? Uh -huh, yeah, so I shared it on uh, Jody's Facebook group, the oh, a Place of Refuge. Is it okay to share it on other groups? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, share it far and wide. Whoever wants to, to join is, is more than welcome. I, I just don't use Facebook really anymore. And so that was one of the groups that I'm a part of that I just shared it on there. And if anybody wants to take it on, then go ahead and share it elsewhere. <laughs> There's a, um, a group called the Gathering of Israel. Oh, is that Sana's group? Yes. Okay. Are you going to share it on that one? Can you share it on that one? Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll hop on there and, and share it in, in, in that one. Yeah. That would be a good one that you can pick up some people there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I know that some people uh, have come in from Ezra's Eagle group as well. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go on there and, and delve in and, and try to share that a little bit too. Awesome. And I'll keep bringing them to the top if I see them in there. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. All right. Um, anyway, but yeah, we're just getting halfway through this Abraham book and it's, it's getting really good. I'm excited for these uh, next chapters. Um, not trying to put Abraham aside. I'm just planning for the future and getting my, my lesson plans and, and things for the Isaiah ones. The Isaiah ones are going to be more lesson structured and le um, we, we are going to have good group discussion, but it will be um, uh, not as... I don't even know the word for it. Not as extensive with um, some of the, the things that we were doing with the Abraham class. Like, uh, I don't know, uh, just kind of revamping, going a, a little bit different direction. <laughs> nice. Thank yep, you yep. so much for all that you do. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for sure. I, I love doing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, we will see you next week. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around. Thank you. Bye.